Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome back to the School of Last podcast. This is Rick Roberts, and in just a second, we have Jeff Caldwell on the show today. Jeff, you know, from multiple Letterman appearances, uh, going to talk to him a little bit and find out more about that process, as well as some other stuff. As we always like to do at the top of the podcast, read a couple of reviews that you guys have posted on iTunes. Thanks for doing that. This comes from Gingerbeard, whoever you are, mystery person. Uh, thanks for putting it in here. An awesome podcast for any level of comedian, and even better place if you're serious about comedy and want to push yourself to the next level. I appreciate that. And this uh, other one from my buddy Brian Bates, who started taking my comedy classes quite a few years ago, and he has this to say, I've been doing comedy for about eight years now. The comedy career is somewhere between Rick and the producer Gavin, but definitely closer to Gavin. Love the podcast, and now I'm actually going to go full-time starting in December. So, Brian, I'm not responsible for any of your life from this point on. <laughs> Good luck to you, buddy, and I know you're going to do great out there. And Once again, thanks for the uh, review on iTunes. You can do that. By going to iTunes, also at School of Laughs on Twitter, if you want to get some updates throughout the month, I just check there. All right, right here with me today, we're in between shows at Comedy Off Broadway in Lexington, Kentucky, and it's one of my favorite comedians, Jeff Cobble. Jeff, how's it going today? <laughs> Rick, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're uh, so kind to me. That's that's nice to hear. No, you actually are one of my favorites, and I, I'm, I want to say this right up front. Uh, many moons ago, we worked at at the caravan i do remember and uh juan cabezas was our mc i love juan cabezas and i felt really bad because i was trying to do this guitar thing and uh like really rock the room and all that stuff and now that i'm a more mature comedian i realize that the whole show is important not just my little part of it and back then i didn't really realize that and i know it probably wasn't too fun in that crazy third show saturday to (laughs) have somebody picketing I've, but do you I've, remember uh, that one? I've blocked out a lot of the unpleasant things that have happened in my career, so uh, I just remember the good things now, Rick. But uh, well, there were good times. <laughs> but that week I watched you, and I really like. From that point forward, I started appreciating, uh, and I've always kind of been clean. But you're always able to do a clean show and keep a crowd's attention and and do what you did, regardless of what the venue was, which I always thought was cool. Well, I appreciate that. I do not completely concur there have been many times when i have not held their attention and uh but you've always been your clean self though right well uh unless things have really gone off the rails right. i think there have been a few breakdowns <laughs> uh there was a near fist fight in richmond was it really yeah yeah At the two, two keys not two keys uh, that's matt's british pub there were right. some kind of frat guys who were just doing that under the breath negative stuff Right. The whole show. Uh, Nobody else can hear. So when I turn on them, then I'm the bad guy. That's a tricky spot, isn't it? It really is. And uh, and I just I can remember sort of puffing up, uh, trying like a like a lizard when he tries to make <laughs> right. himself look bigger. And uh, it was it was going to go down. And my buddy Bob Summerby just kind of walked right in between us and squashed the whole thing. He's a big dude. So uh, well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> my wife was like, I felt like throwing up. That was horrible. Is Isn't this what weird? it's like? Well, you don't like uh, to have to step out of your comedy persona to appease one little table or to shut him down because right. the, the rest of the crowd is like, what happened to the nice guy up there, right? You know, I think I think it's it's really gotten better over time. You know, as we you know we all get better as we go along, uh, probably. Um, 
So I think I'm better, but also I'm less defensive because I know I have more material. And if they don't buy that one, well, here comes another one. And if you can just sort of bash them mm-hmm. with joke after joke after joke, eventually, even if it's not their cup of tea, they'll just sort of settle into a, uh, a glazed state. Like, uh, <laughs> like watching TV, maybe this will be done soon. <laughs> you know? Let me ask you this. I thought about this, too. You've done multiple Letterman's. I have. Is it six or seven? Six. Six. And that's, yeah. that's mind-blowing to me. But does that give you, like, you know... Most of those are roughly five-and-a-half-minute sets, five-minute sets. Uh, it starts out four-and-a-half in the clubs, and then on the show it can go longer because of the you know applause and whatnot. Right. So when you're on stage now and you're having like a, a tighter crowd, but you're doing like – you know in the back of your head that this, this, this was performed on Letterman and got Letterman's stamp of approval. It's – you, I, you know, Does they give you like a, hey, I don't even care if you don't like that one. I know it's great material. There, Well, just as you go along farther in your career, it's easier to just say, okay – this will be over soon. And there's more beyond this. Let's just get through this. But Bill Maher was famous for going, uh, you know, oh, oh, you didn't enjoy that, folks. Well, you know who did enjoy that? Johnny Carson enjoyed that because he would get really sort of snotty with them. And That's funny. Uh, to me, it was very funny. But he could have some pretty awkward shows because, uh, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, his stuff's polarizing. Either you're in or you're not. Yeah. Even when it was more just sort of general uh, material, he uh, he would really take umbrage if they didn't laugh <laughs> the bits. part of me really likes that the other yeah. part doesn't know if i could pull that off but well i know i, I respect know. it yeah he's fiery yeah when you started um and you've been doing this for how long uh open mics started 86 and i was full-time in 87 so just one year of open mics yeah. and then so were, were you just out of college at that point i was in grad school pretending to work on my thesis for my phd and that wasn't really happening so i just didn't go back one day that's and, cool uh, and how did you ease into the open mic scene or what uh just one of those things where you saw it you know like, i can do yeah this. i had always loved comedy i couldn't believe it was actually going on in my town and so I went down there and I was terrible, but I still liked it enough to keep going. And eventually, you know, started getting MC gigs. I'm getting paid to do this. And then in Baltimore, where I started, there was DC, Richmond, a lot of work, Philly, just Waldorf. Kind of with, sure, Waldorf, <laughs> the Eastern Shore, get over there. There were places where you could make money in an easy distance and I said okay and then I, I think I had like a, a month booked of bad MC work and I said okay that's it I'm just gonna drop the fellowship and just run with it just go and I never stopped I mean it was very impulsive and silly but now it's you know I've gone too far I, my bridge is burned I can't, I'm I know, unhirable like, what would we do now <laughs> I don't know I don't like to think about it no. they have these classes to teach comedy maybe they should have classes to teach comedians to be real estate agents or something. <laughs> that's right kind of work you back in the system yeah. a halfway house for comedians trying right. to get back into society scared straight now I know um, one of your uh, the guys that you liked early on you worked with a lot was Brett Leake yes tell me about how you first started working with him or what you saw in him that like I mean, I don't know if you kind of pulled him aside and wanted him to be a mentor, how he kind of took on that role, perhaps, but I've always liked him as well. Yeah. How did you um, guys kind of hit each other off? I remember the first time we met, I had done an MC set in Baltimore at my home club, and Brett was, he was still able to walk at that point. He was walking up the stairs, and uh, I kind of breezed past him, and he goes, that was really good. And I was like, 
you know, I had no idea. And I was kind of brusque. I was like, oh, yeah, great, thanks. Then like a week later, we're working together <laughs> at some room in Richmond. I go, oh, you're that guy. And he said, yeah, you were kind of, uh, you know, you were kind of kind of curt with me back then. <laughs> so, um, and I just realized, our guy's tremendous. I mean, so witty, such great jokes, crafted just to the syllable. Um, brilliant. And so we had a lot of work together and we got on well we spent a lot of time in the car you know eating bad food and driving to bad gigs right. and laughing and trying to write jokes and make the jokes better so um and we both loved the same we had the same mentor really bob summerby who was one of the co-owners of the club in baltimore and we both just thought he was the deal and i still do to me he's still the funniest guy i've ever seen that's great and so it was one of those deals where he brett would kind of want to work with you and just say hey book me because yeah, he was headlining. Yeah, well, eventually I was kind of his uh, his standard opener yeah. or middle act. Um, Jim Hanna has been in that slot. Oh, Jim Hanna. Tony Deo. Uh, it's a great slot uh, if you get that. Now he's doing mostly corporate, so it's not really out there. But, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, we would book things together, and uh, it was just ideal because I could, I could do – a clean show in front of him and not, you know, really wreck the place. Right, right. Uh, and how early on was that a decision to stay clean or did uh, you just experiment and find out that's what worked for you the best and you kind of well, rolled with it? Or? I remember one thing in Baltimore, the news was going to be there and they were filming us doing things and I had a, a topical joke, which was good, and I threw in just like this gratuitous dam or something or, and Bob, my, my hero, he said, why did you put that in there? Now they can't use that. It was just like, oh yeah. And but the fact that he thought the joke was good enough, right? Without was it. like, oh okay. So if I respect what I do enough to put it in the right places in the right format, then someone will use it. So it's like, okay, well give yourself a chance, do it right. And you know, I was also I think kind of reacting to what was going on with a lot of the sort of screaming really filthy guys the uh the kinnison and dice and um i didn't like uh, you know i thought kinnison was funny but it wasn't i didn't like all the uh the screaming i didn't like emo because he was too weird i didn't like any i just like why can't you just be a guy speaking naturally with funny ideas right so that was what i shot for um and you know to the people out there that say, I mean, people say to me, it's, it's harder to work clean. Do you think it's harder or is it just a choice? And once you make the choice, it's the same. There are certain situations where it would, you know, like a late show, a drunk late show, obviously that's tougher. Right. But as you go along and you achieve more, you don't have to do as many of that. That was one thing I was so jealous. Lewis Black and I were working somewhere and he just said, yeah, I'm not doing the late shows. Just pay me for the, and I was like, oh, wow, that's an option? <laughs> I want to get there. Yeah, I just want to work the first show Friday. <laughs> yeah. If I can get to that point. I'd it? like to be able to judge in the middle of the show if I yeah, could if just quit. Yeah, I don't like these people. I want to start over. Are there clubs that you find that when you go to, that it, they're your kind of people and you've kind of developed a little following there where they, uh, the expectations are equal? I, I think the DC Improv is consistently pretty good. They're usually, you know, bright professionals. Uh, um, but I don't do as many clubs anymore. It's mostly corporates, and then I sort of fill in around those with uh, clubs. Uh, and you find leaving 
going from I know when I went from having a full schedule of club work you can look at there and you see 40 weeks and most of the days of the week on your calendar you're somewhere and then when you kind of make that break you're like I'm just gonna leave them open for corporate events the the first year that you really made the transition or started thinking of it that way did you ever look at the calendar thinking oh isn't that a weird thing it's terrifying yeah because when you start out you're you're apt to take anything anything at all my wife has been very good um she's like no you set your price stick to that and then that becomes what you get and uh, you know every fiber of me is like no i can't turn down the work it's hard uh, but she's absolutely right and if you sort of market yourself as as this is what i do this is my price and it's you know a reasonable number uh it works and and you know the clubs really don't want me to that extent anyway i mean they've got a full calendar of 20 year olds right. being ironic and <laughs> that's great uh so i'll do a little bit of club but uh it's i don't miss it and they don't miss me so do you find the club's a good place to kind of tune things up because at corporate events you can get a little more i, I know I, i've got some stories that can get a little wordy and like so this week i'm trying to tighten things up a little bit i think i learn more from a good corporate group than i do from most clubs uh i did a thing for some radiologists the other week they were great right i mean just really great glowing reviews yeah I, was like, okay, <laughs> well, I know i've done my time but hold on let me try this way um, so, you know, I've never been one of the guys who, let's get any stage time, any at all. I think quality stage time, yes, but um, there are a lot of places where you learn bad habits, I think, just to survive up there. Right. I don't want to be abused. Um, right. And that's something that comes with time, for sure, because if, without the um, club work, I'm sure, you know, to get your initial Letterman spot, you had to be in some of the... You lived in New York City for quite a while, correct? I did. I did about 12, 13 years. So you were hitting the clubs there, doing time, and getting your material together before you went on the road to do the right week. Yeah. So I thought it was never going to happen for me. I mean, I think I first was looked at by them in 2000, and uh, I had a great set. I thought, okay, this is it. I didn't get on the show until 2006. Wow. But it's been, I mean, it's just so amazing, because he was one of the guys I saw as a kid, I just thought, he's amazing. He's so funny and so odd, really great. I would love to just be funny like him. And then I'm on his show? Preposterous. Crazy, huh? It is ridiculous. Did you ever see him uh, of the morning stuff that he did, the show he did? The morning show? First, I saw him on Liars Club. Right, With Alan Ludden, this game show where they sort of make up things about objects. And he was so weird and different from, I mean, they would have like very sort of Vegas-y, comics and then here's this guy a little subversive mm-hmm. little you know the new generation terrific and then you got that first spot which uh all the students that i've had in the past have, I, t- I told you the other day we watched your letterman set it in the very first session just so we can all get on one page and see what good comedy oh, looks brother. like oh, so, man. i don't want to in that set <laughs> like you know i kind of asked some questions like how long do you think the set was and some people they have no clue like a, a letterman set they're like 10 minutes three minutes you know and right. i think that one was in the five something range and I think that one was long. Five forty, maybe. I mean, I've, I've got these broken down on a PowerPoint yeah. to show people, and it was it was pretty much a full set. But they were laughing. Yeah, that's what I want to ask you. You had some. You had nine applause breaks. I don't know if you realize that. I'd, I'd never counted them. No. Nine. So like, you had to stop to let them do the, you know the audience's job of communicating with their laughter and applause. And I wondered, 
Well, did you get a chance to enjoy it while you're up there? Like this is going better than I could have possibly imagined, or were you still? There are little moments where you kind of can go, "Oh, okay, this is pretty cool." Like when you hear the band laugh or you hear Dave laugh, but it's really such a high stress situation. It's like, get through it. Don't forget, right? Because the Letterman Show doesn't give you any cue card or bullet points or anything like that. So you're, you know, you're on your own. You are on your own, and. Uh, so a lot of it's just a blur. Um, uh, was it the same the second time you hit it? Or you still have that kind of like... It's, it's, I have to say relaxed? I was more relaxed and I had more fun, I think, the first time because I was doing what I thought was the best of my act that I'd been working on for 20 years or something like that. Right. And then after that, it's like, okay, well, let's cobble together the leftovers, <laughs> you know, and whatever new stuff you've got written. So it becomes progressively less fun. I think I heard Chris Rock say something recently, not that I'm in his league or anything, but he was saying, at some point, there's no point in doing these things because all I can do is diminish what I've done to this point. All right. I can do is have a bad thing. So that that kind of is, is in my head. It's like, oh, God, I mean, I don't want to melt down and be the YouTube guy who completely <laughs> right. forgets his show. <laughs> right. Well, you know, the older we get, the better chance of that happens. I know, I know, <laughs> I know it. Do you, um, from the first to the second, then all the way to the sixth, and now the sixth one you got in after the Eddie Brill changeover, uh, right? I think or the last three, three have been uh, without Eddie, yeah. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, I mean, Eddie had said a few things, I think about female comics not being as funny or something. It got Dave, up an the... interview to the New York Times without permission of the show, which mm-hmm. he was supposed to get, and then, uh, yeah, said some impolitic things. And... and he was pretty much the guy that would pick from the comics that were trying to get on, and yeah. so that shifted. When that shift happened, did you think, maybe I won't get back on when now? When Eddie got canned, I thought, I was so depressed. I thought that's it. I mean, he was my really my only in to show business because I've always felt kind of on the outside. I'm not. I had a sitcom deal for a while, so I was sort of for a moment in in the mix. Right. But mostly, I'm just kind of. Uh, I feel like an outsider. I don't have powerful management getting me all these things. Um, I love being able to make a living at it, but it's been pretty much a DIY situation. Right. Was it was it a worldwide pants development deal? Uh, no, it was with CBS, and uh, CBS wrote one script, and CBS Productions wrote another script, and neither one got shot. It was just in the height of reality shows, and uh, very disappointing. I mean, one of the scripts I thought was brilliant. These guys from Cheers wrote it, and uh, it's still it makes me laugh. The script is good, but and did opportunity come because of the Letterman show? Did they see you? I uh, know this or? was pre pre Letterman. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that went away, and then I thought, well, I'm I'm done. And then Letterman, uh, actually, it was uh, at the Montreal Festival, the booker for Ferguson saw me, put me on, and then I think the Worldwide Pants people sort of noticed, and I've had a good relationship with them. I'm very sad to see Craig and Dave retiring. I know, like almost almost <laughs> right, it's like the dominoes are falling. Yeah. The new regime, yeah. the younger folks coming in and, and taking things over. Um, well, as far as like you know, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are are really new to comedy some have been doing it for quite a while um, some people are just on the edge thinking about doing comedy so what habits do you think serve, have served you well over the years that uh, you finally like this is the way I need to do it for me that maybe you can share with them well I think when it, it takes a while but when you can find your individual take on writing um, 
you start out, you're kind of copying who you think is great. And I think that's natural and it happens. And as soon as you can morph into being confident enough in your own take on ideas, go with that. And even if you don't get brilliant results right away, keep using that voice, that truest inside voice. That's the one that will make you an individual that's interesting. Um, there's just, you know, there's too many sort of clones doing impressions of, I see young guys, I see a lot, for a while there was a million David Tells mm-hmm. out there, and then, I don't know who the, the current standard is, but I, there's there was a, a Tommy Jonigan impersonator. This guy, I thought, oh my God, he's doing an impression. This is really, you know, but I understand because I did a week with Brian Regan early on, and I was completely just smitten with this guy. Everything he did was great. He had the phrasing kind of oh, like trickles over. And you th- I mean, not just great jokes, but everything with that delivery to, and then combined, forget it. Right. I mean, belly laughs every show. So very powerful. How There's been you- a few guys like that, like Bill Hicks very early on, I thought was such a great performer. Regan, amazing. And my man, Bob Summerby, just the smartest, funniest. Oh, great. And how would you describe your voice? Like, like when you put yourself into a joke or trying to, to write material, what's the, do you find there's an angle that you come at it with? Well, first? the way I, I never really analyze it too much, but most people say it's just, it's just sarcasm beyond. And I guess that's true. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's just sort of the way I, I think about things. But yeah. I, Well, I think, uh, I think the sarcasm is your delivery, is in your delivery, but... I, can I tell you what I thought? Sure, sure. I'll watch you a few times. But you really find st- stuff that everybody assumes works well, and you f- you flip it on upside down and show you how arcane. You know the joke you're doing out here about the technology in NFL football. They got the headsets and the wireless <laughs> going back, but they still measure first downs with a stick and chains. Right. So like you find like the whole world assumes that's the best way to do it, but not with Jeff Caldwell. It's that's like, always struck me as such an odd way. <laughs> right. Really? Is that even accurate? We're right. We're pulling these sticks <laughs> apart. Yeah. And it's Lewis. What do you say, Lewis and Clark Lewis survey? Lewis and Clark survey crew. <laughs> Great line. But I think that's like I, I think it's a good common thread that you have. Like I think when I see you looking at stuff, you find that angle. Like how does I mean that's observational for sure. But you find that it's it, it almost disturbs you that we're still doing it this way. I need to point this out to the audience. Hmm. And your sarcasm on top of that, I think, is a, a one-two punch. Interesting. Like I, I, I would say the material to your music guy. So. Like it's like the the delivery is like the rhythm, okay. And then you're like your jokes are like the melody kind of. Do top it. Of that. You know what I'm saying? So you've got the sarcasm and deliveries kind of got the beat, and I think the crowd falls into that. But the you catch them off guard with your the melody of your punchline. Is there harmony in there? What would the harmony? Not with the crowd we had tonight. Not the first one. <laughs> a very inharmonious bunch. I don't know were. if they could do a four step. If that's the only four steps that were allowed in their whole I, life. If I may, I was watching them while you were up there. <laughs> And I think you are a dynamite, dynamite performer. Well, I don't know how they don't laugh, <laughs> but some of them managed. They were sitting. They looked just like, like they'd been shoveling all day or something. They were tired, open mouth. They look like groupers. Yeah, like a mouth. I guess it's a, a, staring a sterile aquarium full of groupers <laughs> that have either had too much to eat or the oh. water's not got enough oxygen in it. Don't they weren't over. bad. They just didn't have the energy. No. Yeah, I don't but know. But we're here after Thanksgiving, too, for you guys. This is true. recording this. They may be full of gravy. Yeah. 
on Black Saturday or Brown Saturday, <laughs> Gravy Saturday or whatever this is. They were good. Um, okay, cool. Where can people find out more about you? Is it at jeffcobble.com? Uh, jeffcobble.com will uh, will work. Standupguy.com, same place. Can they jump on an email list or follow you on Twitter? Uh, Twitter, Jeffrey Caldwell. Facebook, The Real Jeff Caldwell. <laughs> nothing a, nothing uniform here. Must be a few Jeff Caldwells out there. I think I'm on Google+, Plus, but I don't really do anything on there, so it could be real either. quiet. LinkedIn, if you're unemployed and you need a tip on a job, that's a good place to go. We'll track you down. Hey, make sure you catch him if you see him anywhere near you. If you're a, a corporate entertainer and you can recommend Jeff for a corporate event, he'll definitely do the deal for you out there. So uh, thanks for sticking around for a little bit and having yeah. fun in between. Let's shows. go get him this show, Rick. This is the first time I'm looking forward to the second show. Oh, man. I'm not saying the first show was bad, but I didn't I'm saying they more. were bad. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'll second that. <laughs> hey, see you guys next week. Have a good one. listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.